everybody. Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast Network. It's Thursday night. Craig Schaup is here with George Thomas. That means we are talking movies. And boy, George, I tell you what, we are talking a big movie this week, West Side Story, the new Steven Spielberg film. I'm excited, George. How are you doing on this Thursday? Uh, I'm waiting for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least in advance of the weekend, you had a chance to see West Side Story, a movie that does come out here on December 10th. George, there's a lot of anticipation about this. Some people, including myself, were wondering why is Spielberg remaking what, you know, largely is considered a classic? Is it worth the time of one of our great working filmmakers and Steven Spielberg to revisit West Side Story? Well, he, he's remaking it because he's Steven Spielberg and he can't. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, look, I asked the same question. I'm like, WT, whatever you want to, whatever other letter you want to use. It's like, yeah. what, what's he doing? I mean, if there is a, a nearly flawless musical, what side story is it? From the music, the story, the choreography, everything, everything. Right. And along comes little Steven Spielberg. I want to remake this movie. Um, and he does a hell of a job. <laughs> um, I gave it an A minus. I, I no 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 what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not building any tension with that one. I, I gave it an A minus because here's what he did. He absolutely without a doubt takes the film and makes it relevant for today right and considering the source material is what 60 let's call it close to 60 years old i think the the play hit broadway in the late 50s yeah um and mind you i'm one of those it's like if you're remaking this, why are you not modernizing it in some form or fashion? Well, right. apparently you don't need to when you're basically saying to your audience, the more things change, the more they remain the same. Right. Now, he, he, he takes some chances in staging some musical numbers restaging them and changing who sings what. For instance, America is done on the city streets where the 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 sharks live. The song America with sung by uh oh damn. I hate when I lose my train of thought. <laughs> it's sung by Ariana DeBose. That's the name of the actor and it's it, and she it's a fantastic rendition. Um, but, um, I'm trying to remember her character's name. So you're going to have to forgive me. Anita. Anita. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Sung by Anita and, and basically Bernardo. Um, and the way he restages it, the way it's done, there's more freedom of movement. The choreography is fantastic. And it's just a wonder to behold. Now, in the case of um, the song Somewhere, instead of Tony and Maria singing that song as they did in the movie, 
it's given to a new character, Valentina, who was married to Doc. It was an interracial, I don't even like using the word interracial, but it was it was an interracial marriage. They were married for years. Doc is dead. And Valentina, his widow, is running that soda shop slash pharmacy now. And she gets to sing somewhere. And you, if you know the limit, lyrics to the song, you know it's basically asking when will all this nonsense start? When will people who just love one another be able to 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 fit into society and live their lives in peace? Right. And for me, it added something because again, it took place, it, this takes place in the late 50s and we're still dealing with this BS all these years later. Right. I mean, that could be sung, sung by a lot of people today. You know what I mean? Right. Well, and of course, Rita Moreno, um, who most people might oh. recognize uh, from the original, gets that opportunity. Um, you know, obviously, this for those for those who may have not aren't really aware of West Side Story. It's a very Shakespearean take on a couple of uh, street gangs, the Jets and the Sharks, that uh, you know are kind of conjoined to to each other by forbidden love. Um, I did want to ask you. Um, this is sort of one of those star, you know, we always hear the, the star making performance here uh, for a lifetime. And, and this time it's Rachel, I think it's Ziegler, um, if I'm pronouncing that right, I hope so, um, where this is really her first, you know, screen role or at least major role. Um, and, you know, she so happened is tapped by Steven Spielberg to play the lead here in West Side Story. Uh, a lot of buzz for right now for her, not just, you know, her ability to sing, but just the performance in general. How would you sort of assess uh, the newcomer here uh, to the Spielberg uh, epic West Side Story retelling? Well, gee, I think she's got a future. <laughs> <laughs> she's got a, and I, I put it exactly this way. You mentioned her singing. She's got voice on loan from an angel. Right. Hearing. I mean, and I checked the soundtrack listing, everything. Apparently that's her singing. So holy smokes. Right. And she's great as an actress too. I mean, you buy into everything and she's got the right, I don't know how old she is in, in real life, but she's got the right look with respect to age wise in this. Reminded me of my niece who lives in Oklahoma City. Okay. Just kind of petite, very, and just has this little girl way about her. I don't mean that in an insulting way. Right. Just, yeah, it's right look. You know, it's it's interesting. We, we at the top of this show, we talk about Steven Spielberg. Everybody, I think anybody who's ever watched film more than one day in their life knows who Steven Spielberg is. Um, it's not, it wasn't always a guarantee that just because Spielberg's behind the camera that this movie would work. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's not easy to, to mess up a musical, but it's also not hard in some respects too, because, um, I think of, you know, Clint Eastwood with Jersey Boys wasn't really all that successful. So 
it doesn't seem like great directors equate to you can make a great musical. And Steven Spielberg seems to have really hit this out of the park, despite not really changing a lot to the film. Because a lot of people, when you get into that remake territory, and I don't know how you are, but, you know, like when Psycho was remade, it was a shot-for-shot shot remake, and everybody didn't like it because it was a shot-for-shot shot remake. Not that this is a shot-for-shot shot remake, but, you know, were you surprised that, you know, there, there wasn't as much deviation maybe from the source, and maybe it wasn't, it was it was modernized a little bit, but it still kind of held true to what we saw, you know, in 1961? Was I surprised? No, because the fact that he didn't modernize it to its fullest, putting it in the present day, told right. me he had a lot of respect for the the source material. Um, and f- it's freaking Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim. So how can you not? Right. And it, it and after seeing it, I realized he understood what he wanted to do with it and that he's playing right into modern sensibilities with it now those elements of bigotry racism those conflicts are definitely amped up ever so slightly that's the best way to put it right but i i'm i'm not surprised at all well it's it's you know obviously a master filmmaker can can work in any genre I, i think when I think of that, I think of Martin Scorsese. Certainly, you know, he's always known for the the thuggish crime dramas. But then he made a movie like Hugo, for instance, where it's very family friendly and it's really a different genre than he's norm, you know, used to making. Um, here with Spielberg, Spielberg's had a very eclectic career. I mean, yeah, you might mostly know him for science fiction and action adventure type stuff, but he's he's very capable at making grounded realism like Munich. And then here with a, a West Side Story where it's a very, you know, over the top, not over the top, because I don't want to mean that in a bad way, but just this grandiose production and being able to to be able to piece together, not just with the screenplay from Tony Kushner, but also just being able to map out what this is going to look like. And, you know, like you said, there was a few changes to some of the choreography, things like that, or maybe deciding, you know, who's going to sing what versus maybe what we saw in the 60s version Um, It just seems like he's a master filmmaker at the top of his game here, even at age 74. Yeah, when when has he not been at the top of his game? (laughs) You know what you talk about? Maybe maybe, uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull wasn't his. I don't mind that movie as much. I didn't mind it as much either, but it was when you're talking about Spielberg, you're also talking about like some of the greats of the greats and then. Yeah, you know, that was a little bit of a, you know, War of the Worlds was probably a movie that I really didn't care for but the only thing that made up for that was that same year he got to make munich so i was happy about that um but yeah generally speaking spielberg usually does no wrong um spielberg does no wrong yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna correct except world of worlds I'll, I'll, I'll disagree with <laughs> no, you no 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 i'm gonna do you know who mark dewidziak is no okay mark dewidziak had the full-time Beacon Journal film critics job, you may as well say just before I did. Okay. okay. He moved on to the Plain Dealer as TV critic. I remember him and I talking after Amistad. And most people aren't going to remember Amistad. Amistad is, it deserves credit for introducing <laughs> – 
it's amazing the career the guy has had is make, introducing American audiences to Jaiman Hansu. Oh yeah. Um, and we knew it wasn't great Steven Spielberg. It was still compelling Steven Spielberg. And Mark Dwidziak said to me, you know what? Even okay Spielberg, good Spielberg is better than 99% of the stuff put out there. And he's absolutely right. I do. I do agree there. Um, generally speaking. And you know, my, my, my issues with world of worlds was not, I mean, everything was beautifully crafted. It was, I mean, Spielberg has never made a bad looking film, a less than spectacular, you know, craft goes into, I mean, he is, he is a true tech tactician behind the camera making sure that everything looks beautiful, everything has purpose on the screen. I think it was mostly just the flimsy kind of story on that, but um, and also that that very strange cameo by Tim Robbins where he um, was the underground bunker crazy guy that you know you come to expect in movies like that. But uh, but yeah, I mean Spielberg, you know Amistad, like you said, maybe like sort of that underappreciated type Spielberg. Um, I still to this day. I really love Munich. It is one, it is my favorite Spielberg film. Um, it really like because I, I think it also it came out the same year as War of the Worlds, but it also came out around the time when Spielberg was making, you know, a lot of science fiction fantasy, and then all of a sudden he has this really hardened drama that made me remember Schindler's List, and you know, making me think that yeah, when he wants to, he can make whatever he wants. It doesn't just have to be some popcorn entertainment or you know, science fiction, you know, kind of, uh, you know, thinking man science fiction, like with Minority Report, he really, I mean, he can just dabble in whatever he feels like. And it's good to see, though, I know a lot of people probably dumped on Ready Player One, even though I liked Ready Player One a lot more than I thought I would. You know who dumped on Ready Player One? People who didn't get the concept. Yeah. And and the the book was dumped on, too, but people who didn't get the concept dumped on Ready Player One. Now, you you have Mark Zuckerberg talking about a metaverse and you have people who suddenly realize, wow, that sounds very much like, whoa, Ready Player One. Right. Um, I have no problem with that movie at all. I enjoyed the hell out of that movie. It's a fun, entertaining, it's, you know, it's not trying to be anything more than it is. It's not, you know, fantasy, science fiction-y type, you know, Minority Report grounded in realism. It's just a lot of fun and excitement and beautiful to look at and, you know, tells a unique story about our reliance on technology and how it kind of impacts us socially and maybe uh, makes us introverts in some ways. So, yeah, I mean, Ready Player One, I think, you know, a lot of people just unfairly thought, oh, is, is Spielberg starting to, to, to show some signs of age or whatever? Because, you know, this is, you know, West Side Story is his first movie since Ready Player One. So it definitely, you know, some people were kind of questioning. And I think what, it, you know, obviously West Side Story has answered quite a few of those questions on whether or not Spielberg is over the hill or not. Well, I, I think people were questioning whether he could make just a piece of fluff again. I really do. Because let's face it, he he and George Lucas single-handedly invented the blockbuster. Right. So, you know, and blockbusters were no, known for being 
mind candy. It's it's throwaway entertainment. Right. I, I get the impression that that some people didn't believe he could make that type of film again. That's why he did Ready Player One. Right. <clears throat> yeah, because if you look at up until then, I mean, he had The Post and the BFG, Bridge of Spies, Lincoln, War Horse. Uh, you know, 2011, he had The Adventures of Tintin, which was probably more along those lines of what you're talking about. But yeah, it really had been a while. And, you know, of course, before that, he had Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Munich and War of the Worlds. I mean, the, the guy has just had such an illustrious career over, what, four or five decades now. And it's just it, it seems like he's not slowing down. And it seems like, you know, with West Side Story, it's it's that I know we kind of talked a little bit about it last week with Oscar bait. I mean, this is a, a movie that you would expect the Academy is going to just gush over. It's not just Spielberg, but it's good Spielberg. And you've got something, you know, the old Hollywood, you know, with, with West, you know, with the story of West Side Story. So you kind of feel like this is going to be one of those big Oscar contenders, not just for best picture, but just in a multitude of categories because of this, because of the success and how good it actually turned out to be. I, I do, but think more the color purple. Okay. As opposed to Schindler's list would be the, the, you know, I don't think it goes home with a lot. Right. Right. I, I just think it's going to get its recognition recognition in the form of nominations. And that's, Probably it. a lot of people don't remember. I think Color Purple was nominated for 10 or 13 and it won nothing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Some of those strange anomalies uh, that happen in the Oscar voting season at, at times where you just simply you can it's like you can go to the dance, but you can't dance with the prom king or queen. You know, it's just the way it is sometimes with the Oscars. But uh well, um, an A minus on that. Obviously, uh, you know one of the better reviews we've heard from you this year. So, I'm assuming uh, that uh, this will probably be among those uh, those movies from 2021 that you uh, recall fondly. Uh, I know Belfast is another movie that you uh, really enjoyed. Uh, hopefully, here in the future we can do a, a show where we uh, talk a little bit about your uh, your best films of the year. Um, it's we're knee deep in Oscar season. What's coming up next week, George? Oh my God! You asked me to look ahead. <laughs> Hold on. Um, next week, well, Nightmare, Nightmare Alley. Alley. Yeah. Um, I've got a link I have to watch because I missed the screening for it. Okay. And Spider-Man: No Way Home is the big one. Right. Well, a big. Uh, you know, we got a potential Oscar contender in Nightmare Alley, but then also the big blockbuster, which you will not be paying 5000 or $25,000 for a ticket for that, George. So we're definitely happy that you don't have to pay for that one. Uh, Sorry, hopefully, no one, hopefully no one in this world will pay $25,000 for a ticket like we talked about last week, but uh, some big contenders coming up. Um, obviously, is there is there a screener that you're, uh, you're itching to get to that you have that you haven't gotten a chance to yet? Nightmare Alley. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro. It's Guillermo del Toro, yeah. And, and obviously del Toro is, uh, you know, coming off of an Oscar victory for The Shape of Water, although not his best work, in my opinion. I'm more of a Pan's Labyrinth Guillermo del Toro. But, you know, I'm glad he won an Oscar because The Shape of Water was good. It just wasn't as good as Pan's Labyrinth. But, you know, I'm glad he won. Um, What else? Uh, there, 
there are three or four movies I have to try to watch before midnight Friday. Because voting for my uh, critics groups awards mm. for, for nominations, I have to have my ballot in at uh, midnight tomorrow. Okay. So there's some stuff I've got to see. Um, and there's a, enough of them to where I don't remember what they all are. <laughs> <laughs> are, are now as you know, with the the critics ballot getting Macbeth, yes, right. Are there going to be some movies like I mean, The Matrix Resurrection? I'm not sure if you're getting an early enough screening for something like that. Not that it's a guarantee that a movie like that would be on a critics ballot, but still, you know, you some people are traditionalists where they want to make sure they've seen everything before they finalize their lists, whether it's critics or top 10 or whatever. I mean, are you going to be able to access everything you want to access before that, uh, that ballot goes in? Oh no. Cause the, the matrix doesn't screen for another week and a half. Okay. And they're, they're not making links available, which tells you how Warner brothers views the film, which is basically a, it, it's, it's there for fun and profit. Right. Yeah, no problem with that. Yeah, no, 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 nothing wrong with that. But yeah, it's kind of sad when the uh, you know, now, granted, Warner Brothers had a good year, obviously, and you know, with King Richard, uh, Dune. I've I've heard a lot of buzz with Dune. I mean, obviously, I like Dune. I didn't really think it was going to be like an Oscar contender, but it seems like you know it made the AFI top ten. Do you think Dune's going to squeeze in here to that uh, that best picture race, or maybe Villeneuve for best uh, best director or something? I mean, do you feel like Dune's gonna make it. If 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 you appreciate if the Academy truly appreciates film as a visual storytelling medium, it should. Yeah, it really should. Because let's face it, Villeneuve let a lot of his camera work do the do the talking, the narrative in in that film. Yeah, And, and some might have a problem with that. And there have been films that have attempted that and failed miserably. He does not. <laughs> yeah, right. It was almost like it was better when they weren't saying, I mean, I, like I said, I like Dune. I didn't love it. I didn't think it was going to be an Oscar contender when I saw it, but I did enjoy it a lot. I, I can't wait for more, you know, Dune, whether it's the Sisterhood series on HBO Max or, of course, the future parts on the uh, the sequels here. Um, but uh, it, it almost kind of was reminiscent of like a pre-talky where it was better when there was just visuals just letting you just wash over you as opposed to trying to follow the stories or, you know, the character development or just figuring out who's who or what their names are, whatever it may be. But uh, definitely was a visual feast, that's for sure. And I wouldn't be shocked if it makes it into that best picture because I'm, I'm sure that, you know, you're probably trending more towards like, eight to 10 best picture nominees this year, as opposed to five, especially how Oscar voting has changed a little bit now where it's more of like a one through 10 list. And, you know, it's not necessarily like you have to top a lot of lists. You can be in that three, four, five range and still get that best picture nomination. Um, And that's based on circumstances more than anything else. I'm, I'm almost positive the studios cut back on releases for obvious reasons this year. Yeah. Um, And they had a a truncated release schedule because remember, you know, like a a movie like Judas and the Black Messiah got a February release and that was eligible for 
last year's Oscars uh, in quotations there, last year's Oscars, which would have been this year. So technically speaking, you had 10 months instead of a full 12 month run of movies. Not that a lot of Oscar contenders are coming out in January and February, but you know, studios, like you said, had fewer releases in all likelihood because of this. And then of course, sort of a truncated release schedule probably didn't help either. So I guess I wouldn't be shocked by that rationale that maybe you might not get 10 release, you know, uh, 10 Oscar picture contenders just because of that. But I kind of feel like the way the, the Academy has changed the voting, I wouldn't be shocked by it though. Um, yeah, neither would I. Um, it doesn't seem as hard because before you'd have the top list and now you can like, I think Tick, Tick, Boom was an option, you know, like where it's, it's one of those movies where people are going to like or King Richard where people are going to like it, but they're maybe not going to put it number one on their ballot when they vote. And then all of a sudden it, it just keeps appearing on lists in like the two, three, four range or whatever. And then just like that, that's going to be a best picture nomination because of it. I wouldn't mind seeing yeah. Tick, Tick, Boom get a nomination. So. It was a it's a it's a pretty good year for uh, for movies, movie musicals, movies about musicals and movies about people who wrote musicals. I mean, In the Heights was all was obviously great. You know, West Side Story, Tick, Tick, Boom about uh, Lars, Larson. So it seemed like it was a pretty good uh, year at the movies this year for uh, for musicals and anything dealing with musicals. Lin-Manuel Miranda obviously leads the charge with that, with all of his uh, accomplishments this year. But uh, it's nice to see Spielberg cap it off with the. Uh, a great one to end it. Well, there are worse ways to go out, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, George, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, next week will be some big releases. I think uh, everybody will be wondering if it's worth spending $25,000 on a Spider-Man ticket. So I'm sure you'll be the uh, the voice of reason for that for many uh, film goers. The studio rep already punched my ticket. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, George. Well, you take care of yourself. We'll see you next week talking about more movies. All righty.